a couple of weeks ago I was watching The Drum. That's that current affairs discussion panel on the ABC. Ellen Fanning was the host, and guess what? They were discussing the coronavirus. But right at the end of the program, Ellen finished the, the discussion by asking the panellists, um, she said, where is hope in all this? I thought it was a great question, and they all became quite pensive. They admitted that it was a tough question to answer. Then each one offered their thoughts. The first uh, young lady um, woman said that hope was in having a clear voice. Another woman, I think it was, said that hope was in talking, in taking action that made a difference. And the last uh, guy, um, panellist, uh, said that hope was in finding something positive within and focusing on that. I don't know what you think of those replies, but what was really striking about their answer to me was that none of them looked for hope outside themselves. They were genuine individualists. They thought that it was all about them and it all came from them. Hope was something that came from within each of them. The result was that what they said left me feeling quite hopeless. Well, of their position anyway. If, I thought if my only hope comes from within me, then I've got no hope at all. But then I thought, even if we go outside ourselves for hope, which we do, which we must, uh, we still face uncertainty. Our government, governments have been doing great things around the world. People put their hope in their government. Our government's been great, been very generous, and so gives us immediate help and some hope. But our government, its officials, admits that they can't stop the virus and that they don't know how long this will go on for. They're talking six months. Yeah, bit of hope there, but not ultimate. Our health system is probably second to none in the world. Our doctors, nurses, hospitals are doing great things. But despite their very best efforts, despite the very best care of our health system, people still succumb to the virus. Now, Ellen Fanning's question, where is hope, is a very good one. But nothing I've seen or heard on the media has provided me with a satisfactory answer to date. But I'm a Christian. And so I go to what God has said, what God has done. And when I open up the Bible, God's Word, when I turn to God and what He's done, I do find a satisfactory answer. The answer is contained in the passage I quoted earlier. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. I think this passage gives us three, three reasons why Real hope is found in Jesus. Uh, hope is found in Jesus because it is from God. It's not from within us. Hope is found in Jesus because Jesus is real. Hope is found in Jesus because it is an eternal hope.
it's a hope that won't be taken from you. So I want to unpack those things with you for a few minutes. So firstly, hope in Jesus is from God. The passage said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope. The hope that is offered to us in Jesus is a gift that comes to us from outside ourselves, from God. Today as we celebrate Easter, we must remember that Jesus' life and death and resurrection is all a gift to us from God. It doesn't depend on us. We didn't even ask for it. We didn't go searching for it. Now, long before we even existed, God did all this for us through Jesus. He gave all this to us. Hope in Jesus comes from God as a gift. And the Bible is so clear on this. Uh, it says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's very clear, isn't it? It says, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. You see, in Christianity, the source of hope is from outside us. It's not from within us. It doesn't depend on us. At the moment, Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, is in intensive care. And we're all hoping and praying that he'll pull through. You might remember, though, a few weeks ago, uh, Bojo, as apparently he's called, was a little more upbeat about it, wasn't he? He was joking, shaking hands with everyone. He sort of gave this unstoppable, indomitable, Churchillian impression. And he's just trying to encourage his people, I guess. But it's very different now. He's totally dependent on help that comes from outside him. He doesn't have the wherewithal from within to fight this thing. Well, that's like us and God. We face a bigger problem than the coronavirus. And it is that we have offended God. We've rebelled against him. The Bible calls it sin. So you see, our only source of hope is if God does something to forgive our offence, to pay our debt that we owe to him. I got fined recently for parking too long on Kite Street, $181, something like that. If I want to be forgiven that debt, it's no good asking my wife or you to forgive me the debt. I need the government, the court, to forgive me. I need them to give me pardon. It's like us with God. God has done something about what we owe him. He sent his son into our world to pay for our sin and to defeat death. Through Jesus, God has given us a new birth, it said. The passage says a fresh start by paying the debt of our sin, giving us a clean slate. Jesus did that on the cross. And he's given us a living hope. Jesus is alive. That's the truth of Easter Sunday. His promise is that all who believe in him will be raised to life at the final judgment. Friends, hope comes to us because of God's initiative. It comes to us from outside us in Jesus Christ. See, it's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. It's all a gift. It's all from God. It's all by the grace of God. Well, second, hope in Jesus is real because Jesus himself 
is real. Jesus is real flesh and blood. Jesus is a historical figure. With Jesus, there's no religious, weird, ethereal mumbo-jumbo. No, he's a historical person from the first century. Just like Herod the Great is, just like uh, Caesar Augustus was. And no one disputes that. Jesus was real. Jesus' death on the cross was real. It was witnessed by hundreds, if not thousands. It was attested to in the writings of the day. And no one disputes this. And Jesus' resurrection was real. It was also witnessed by hundreds and attested to in the writings of the day. The only ones who dispute this are those who do not accept the eyewitness accounts from that time. Accounts like we read from Mark's Gospel earlier. There's a man named Alan Johns. He's a barrister who works in the criminal court in London. And Alan comes from a sceptical, atheistic background. But he has become a Christian. One of the factors which led him to Christ was the undeniable authenticity of the gospel accounts. He was asked in an interview this question. Why is it, Alan, sorry, what is it, Alan, that caused you to turn to Jesus as your Lord and God? Listen to his answer. He said, as a barrister, I'm used to listening to eyewitness statements and assessing them. I look for authenticity. When I read the gospel accounts, there's a degree of variance in them that has the ring of authenticity. If witness accounts are tightly identical, you can be sure that there's been a stitch-up, an agreed line concocted in advance. Furthermore, there's a level of honesty about the disciples' failure in the Gospels. Where witnesses in court are fabricating, they always come out purer than pure. But as we read these accounts, the disciples are quite often open about their failure. These witnesses are reliable. Now I wonder, did you notice what Alan Johns noticed in the reading from Mark's Gospel? For a start, quite interestingly, very unusually, the key witnesses are women. You see, it's just a fact of the ancient world that women were not relied on as witnesses. In fact, for one opponent of Christianity, this was the very thing he picked on in the second century. Celsus wrote, After death he rose again and showed the marks of his punishment and how his hands had been pierced. But who saw this? Hysterical females. How rude, Celsus. Anyway, that's what he wrote. So Mark, to his own detriment in that culture, uses women as his witnesses. Why does he do that? Well, for a very simple reason, because they were the witnesses. Then, as we read, you know, did you notice just the practical order and orderliness of what these three women were doing? On that Sunday morning, they were clearly going to the tomb, expecting to embalm Jesus' corpse. They bought spices. Um, they went early. You notice that? They knew what they were doing, didn't they? The sooner you embalm a corpse, the less unpleasant it is. 
They were discussing how they were going to roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb. These are three practical, honourable, grieving women just doing what had to be done to honour the greatest man they'd ever known. For them, death was a regular part of normal life. Life was brutal in the first century under Roman rule. These women had probably done the same thing before them to the remains of other friends and families. But this turned out to be anything but normal. When they got there, they found the tomb was open and it says, Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. I'll bet they were. And he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, I'm sure this angelic young man had impeccable manners and was doing his utmost not to scare the socks off these poor ladies. But what were his chances? They were going to embalm an executed enemy of the state. There had been soldiers keeping people away. They knew they weren't even supposed to be there. And to top it all off, Jesus' body is gone and there's this weird guy sitting in the tomb and talking like everything's going according to plan. Remember, he even gives them a message from Jesus, just like, well, this is what you do every day of the week. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Yeah, right. But it's all too much for them. Verse 8 says, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. You bet your life they were afraid. And you and I know that if we were there, we'd have been just as confused and just as afraid. You know, if you read through the other accounts, Matthew, Luke and John, you'll see that fear is the common emotion among the women, men and women who follow Jesus. Not victory, but fear. Jesus' closest friends were fearful. They were hopeless. That is, until Jesus came and met with them, ate food with them, talked with them and explained everything to them. That changed everything for them. Having witnessed his resurrection and having learned from Jesus God's purposes, they became fearless and hopeful. You know, history records that the apostles were all executed by the Romans for refusing to deny their living hope in Jesus. See, all this tells us that hope in Jesus is real hope. Real hope for the real world. Real hope for, real hope for people like you and I who need it because we have none in and of ourselves. Well, the third reason real hope is found in Jesus is because hope in him is eternal. Last forever. The Bible passage describes our hope in Jesus as being an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Imperishable is a great word. It is self-explanatory. It means that it will never perish. Um, you know, it won't fade. Interestingly, a bit further on in this passage, Peter describes gold as perishable. And that's not the way we think, is it? 
In fact, now in the face of the coronavirus pandemic, what are people doing? Buying gold. Have you seen the price of gold lately? Last year it was about 1,200 cents per ounce. Now it's nearly 1,700 cents an ounce, somewhere about there. See, any time there's a big calamity, gold goes up because people buy gold. Why? Because they think that it lasts. But it doesn't, and it doesn't for two reasons. The first is that we, the one who give it, gives it value, don't last. We are mortal. Our life here where gold matters doesn't last. So no matter how much gold you have, if you're dead, it's lost its value. It's perished for you. The second reason that gold doesn't last is that God says when he judges the world, people will stand before him in judgment and everything else goes up in smoke. 2 Peter 3 says that everything will be set on fire and dissolved. So people don't put your hope in gold. It doesn't last. But there is real hope eternal hope in Jesus. He rose from the dead, imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And so the hope he gives us is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. It is kept in heaven for us where he is. Today, this Easter Sunday, I hope that you will consider the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and put your hope in him. Hope of forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. Now, if this is already your hope, can I say two things to you? One, praise God for what he's given you, this gift of real and eternal hope. It's undeserved, it's eternal, and it is indescribably awesome. So praise God. Second thing is that your community, your friends, your family need your hope. So Peter says later in his letter, after he's laid all this out, he says, look, if Jesus is your Lord, then be prepared to give an account of your hope to other people. Do it gently and respectfully, but make sure that you're prepared to do it. But this may not be your hope. This may be entirely new to you. It could be, too, that you've come back to Christianity. Can I suggest a few things to you? Firstly, um, get a copy of Mark's Gospel and read it right through. And as you read, ask God to help you understand and believe what you read. It's his word. Ask him to help. I can tell you I know people who they did that and it changed their life. Second thing, please make contact with me. I'd love to hear from you. My details are at the end of this video. If I can help, I'd just love to be in touch. The third thing is a good place to learn more about Christianity is at a website called Christianity Explored and the details of that will be at the end of this video. Please continue, continue to investigate Christianity and this is a great uh, place that you can go to do that. Well, why don't you think about the things that I've said um, while we uh, hear this next sound clip.